0: Welcome to the Candlelit Tales podcast. My name is Sarah Hegarty and I'm sitting down here with my brother.
1: And my name is Aaron Hegarty and we are the co-founders of Candlelit Tales.
0: Yep, we tell stories and we set them to music. And uh, without further ado, I think, we're going to crack on. We're going to have a chat about it afterwards. But Aaron, tell us the story of the Morrigan.
1: All right, so. The Morrigan or the Marignu Had three different forms Different faces Different guises She slipped and fell in behind As such she had three different names Bav, Maka and Anand These three came together to be the Marignu Or simply known as the Morrigan In those three aspects, she had one craft of being able to see into the future. Her prophetic foresight allowed her visions of the future in which way to set strife alight. She had an overpowering lust and longing sometimes that this caused strife whether she wanted it or not. And in any case, her most powerful force of reckoning was her battle fury that she would cast a down on anyone that did her wrong, or anyone she thought deserved it. Her home was in Rath Kruakon. Kruakon, the home of Queen Maeve. Often had a hooded crow outside the window, and if you go there today. Beware of three crows flying side by side, Beware not to stare one in the eye. For she had the power to change her shape into the battle crow, And fly over the army coming towards them like the first battle of Moitura, Where those three Maka, Bav and Anand flew over the forecoming armies, And drowned and drenched them in rain of blood to set their anger into fear instead. And then she burned and scorched them with fiery rain and then for three days and three nights she set out such a shrieking that one of that army could get a wink of sleep and drain them of all motivation for the following fight. She could be many things, the Morrigan. She could be a hag or a crone spotted at a ford washing blood that was soaked into the armour of any warrior that was going to meet his death that day. And she would smile at that warrior knowing what fate had in store for him. She could be seen with red, powerful flowing hair over her body, gleaming and bristling, lust filled and longing for a warrior. Like the day she offered her love to Cúchulán, but he rejected her at the ford during the Ptán Bó Kuna. She came at him in the shape of a wolf, a heavy red heifer, and the shape of an eel, and though he was able to defeat her that day, she became the harbourer and protector of his death, till the day he died and she stood on his shoulder and called three times, Announcing the death of the greatest warrior Ireland had ever known. Now Bav was lean and grey, slender and leggy, nimble and seeing, hovering and hopping over the points of spear and shield rim of the victorious army at the Battle of Moira. This big-mouthed, swarthy, swift, sooty woman, lame and squinting in one eye, was different to that look of Maka. She was beautiful and elegant, and she tried on the guise of being a domestic goddess for Crunden that time in Ulster, but maybe she had foreseen what was to come, because she was forced into a race. ...one day against the king's horses... ...just to prove a stubborn point... ...and when she lost the children she was carrying... ...while heavily pregnant though she won the race... ...she held them in a pool of blood... ...these two twins that she had lost... ...and she stared into the eyes of all the men... ...surrounded her then... ...and cursed them... ...for not protecting... ...her... ...and so Macca's name is still remembered in Ulster... In Awen Maka, that she gave her name to the fort of the king, the twins of Maka. And any man who fails to protect a woman in Ulster is reminded of the battle fury of the goddess of war. No, the Morrigan was not known for being a motherly sort, and she had many children, some say. We know little about all of them. She often slept with the Dagda, the great, big, beautiful, bountiful man. She had Bridget from that coupling. But she offered that child up to be suckled by another, for she did not want or care for it. And so in the other world, Bridget was raised and came back into this world, turning her cloak, becoming a saint. There is a story of one child the Morrigan loved. His name was Meki. Meki was born, he was sick and weak. The Morrigan loved this child. Each one of the bright, beautiful faces of the Morrigan shined down onto this child and held it in nurturing embrace. So much so that she wanted this child to grow to be able to face the rough, hard world out there. And in his weakness and sickness she cuddled and coddled him and minded him. So much so she forgot about her battle fury and rage. She just wanted to protect this child. All of her female strength came and was given in to this child. And when Dean Keck the great physician of the Tuatha Dé came to look upon him, he exclaimed in shocked horror. This child, he explained, had not one heart, not two, but three, and inside the centre of those three hearts there grew a tiny serpent inside, slithering around in the blood of Mekki, and when he grew his hearts would grow, and those serpents would grow too. And when he grew to be of age those hearts would grow And out of his rib cage those serpents would rip their way into the world Spreading fire and destruction and ruining the entire world With blood and fire and hellish shrieks But the Morrigan was not afraid of this She thought if her son would die the rest of the world might as well be destroyed Dean Kecht tried to reason with her telling her that this child must be put to death surely this is the best thing to be done but the goddess of battle fury threw Dean Kecht out of her home not listening to this advice now the two a day had a problem and Makul Makak the Macronia. The son of the wood, the son of the plough and the son of the sun Well they conspired and they set about a way of taking the Morrigan away from her home They planted the seeds of war between two tribes And so when the battle flags were raised and the drums rolled And the spears were gleaming, shining high in the sky The Morrigan was called to duty and she folded over her feathered cloak, transforming herself into that hooded crow As she took to the sky. She went about shrieking and flying over the armies as they went towards one another, and she now waiting for the death and slaughter to happen. McCool took to his chariot. While the Morrigan was distracted and taken away from her home, he went, just where Mecky was. He took his great hounds of war with him and they leapt and tugged and pulled at the restraints and leads he had on them and by the time he got to the house of the morrigan he saw a boy playing and he unleashed the hounds. The shriek of the boy came to the ears of the morrigan as she flew over the battle, with death below her. She knew it was a shriek of her own son, and so she folded her cloak down and around, and taking to the ground, she put her feet down, transforming once more to be the morrigan. In full form, with a shock of red hair, she stared around. She saw the ground with blood and scratches paw prints and fingernails and she looked and she touched that blood and from a vision she was struck with her boy, her mechie, being ripped apart by dogs and teeth and snarls and bites and she followed the tracks that led her down to a stream and there she saw ashes burnt and when touching those ashes A vision came to her Of this child of hers This weak, this weary, this tiny Defenseless mekki Being plunged and stabbed Three times through the chest Each one of his hearts Each one of those snakes Were destroyed with every one of those stabs And he was thrown onto a huge fire That consumed him all And now nothing but ashes remained The morrigan fell to her knees and in a voiceless cry she screamed and the water ran away. The ashes of her boy flew into the sky and damaged down onto the ground. This river would never run again, as she made a voiceless promise that she would rain destruction down on the world of men, rip them through with fire and blood, and set out so much shrieking from men and women for all of the death and destruction she would lead on from that day. For the death of her son, Meki, no one would ever be free From strife and of ruin and of anger As long as the Morrigan was alive And she stays behind the veil of the other world Still to this day she watches She waits, she sets the seeds of strife In amongst the dreams of men And she follows it still to this day fire and blood and screams for the death of her son
0: Maggie. Welp Yeah That'll uh, That won't make you less bloodthirsty
1: I mean, sure
0: I don't know if that's what they were going for. I'm pretty sure they were just trying to murder the Apocalypse
1: Child. I guess so. Uh, You know, it's a story about the Morrigan. It's one of many, I guess.
0: It's, It's one of many. It's one of the few ones, I suppose, where she's a character on her own and it's not like she's adjacent to a war that's going on and kind of interfering in it.
1: Before we go on, and this is the part where we have the chat about the story, by the way. Uh, we do love doing these podcasts, and if you want to hear more of these podcasts and help us out, go to patreon.com forward slash Candlelit tales and throw us a two euro or a five euro or a ten or whatever you think you might be able to to help us do the podcast because these are deadly and people are supporting us and it's making us able to do them. Uh, and I'm going to ask you, Surika, about a few things that I don't quite get about the Morgan. You've told me a lot about this great goddess of war. This is one of the stories of the Morrigan. Actually, an- Angel Hannigan, I performer with Kindle Tales. She and an actor and a singer herself, she found that story and brought mm-hmm. it to us. Uh, we crafted it, co-created it, I suppose, and have retold it a number of times. It's one of the sides of the Morrigan. You don't always get to see this kind of like light side, motherly side. I mean, like she's a loving side.
0: I don't know if I'd call it a maternal side necessarily. I mean she does seem to be Mechie seems to be the only one of her children that she particularly has cares any for
1: maternal instincts towards Yeah
0: I mean she's also she has a number of daughters uh, Bridget, most famously I think being her daughter uh, I can't think of any of the others off the top of my head uh, Although warrior women like Skahawk and Aoife are sometimes referred to as being daughters of the Morrigan
1: Again is that a figurative thing like you're, you're embodying the Morrigan or I have no idea Right nobody does so what's the story with the the like why is it Morrigan
0: the the is important Um, the the Morrigan is the goddess of battle fury but she's a triple goddess so she's got three aspects now whether these three aspects are like sort of different sides of the same person or whether they are three kind of separate entities that come together into the the battle fury goddess we don't know this mm. is the this is the thing about irish mythology and celtic mythology in particular is that like we don't know an awful lot there is an awful lot that we don't know and there's an awful lot because it was very deliberately suppressed mm-hmm. and uh, erased a lot of what we have left are kind of you know fragments l- fragments and and guesswork and i mean i know we in candlelit tales kind of we definitely exploit the fragments because we often talk about how we join dots, and uh, I think it allows an awful lot of space for a, a creative process to to take those bits of stories and put them together into a, a more coherent narrative.
1: Yeah, sure, and that's why it's it's well, it's it's been passed on word of mouth. It's been passed on, and it's not a yeah, full, you know, uh, pantheon or very well uh, prescribed number of gods and goddesses and like, like the Greek pantheon yeah. no
0: we don't and like the Greeks one of the reasons the Greek pagan uh, tradition is so well remembered is because the Greeks developed a writing system quite early on so they were able to write stuff down long before the arrival of Christianity whereas Om we
1: didn't was a bit hard to get a lot of text into wasn't it Ohm was scratching shit off rocks like.
0: Ohm was really a kind of a grave marker thing nobody was writing books in ohm. Um, like hey I'm here on a hill
1: Box yeah, class.
0: like you, you get you know, or something. I'm it's sure. it's mostly it's mostly names on grave markers. That's mostly what we mm-hmm. have in Ohm. Yeah, okay. and and you have it coming up in stories where like Cucullin carves in Ohm writing on the top of a hill, like a warning: you cannot pass here. And you you got kind of little.
1: I mean, that's super markers hard like to that. figure out how he did. Like even you cannot pass here. Like that's a long thing to write. I mean, on a big rock. Like
0: anything is a long thing to write on a big rock, Aaron. That's not in me. Mean. It's gonna take it's <laughs> gonna take you a long time. Okay, in ages.
1: okay so can you tell me more about the like so the this triple aspect of this goddess. I'm always interested, like it's Maka, Morrigan and Bav. But Yes, the, but
0: it's possible that the the Morrigan is the is the three goddesses who are separate entities, in which case it's Maka, Bav and Neman. Right. And the three of them together are the Morrigan, but the Morrigan is not a person in herself. Or it's possible that uh, the Morrigan is the Morrigan and uh, Maka and Bob and Morrigan are like aspects of her, different kind
1: of guises that she wears. Like she's sound when she's maka She's a bit bitchy when she's mob. Eek. She'll ate you when she's Morrigan. Is that kind of thing?
0: That kind of thing, I guess. But again, like this is something that we know very little about. So one of the like so some of the aspects that she appears in just to like give you a flavour, she appears as uh, the washer at the Ford, which is also Bav. This is an omen of death. Now this is I think an interesting thing about the Morrigan as like a war goddess because she doesn't actually do a lot of fighting. Um, There is a a story of her killing one of the kings of the Fomorians and passing out handfuls of his blood to passers-by. Yeah. But she's, she's very often more of a psychological warfare person. Like, right. she's, she strikes terror into people's hearts. Hmm. And the washer at the ford is this death omen. And you see it in the story of Kukulin's death, where he comes to a ford, he sees an old woman washing armour. And it's his armour. And she's washing blood out of it. So, like, you're, well, all, you're all shiny and going out to fight in a war. You pass a woman washing blood out of a uniform and it's got your name on it.
1: That's gonna fucking That's gonna mess you up Also like Here give us back Me fucking armour Like
0: well, she I doesn't, need that She doesn't take it off you Aaron it's a vision
1: <laughs> But like I need my armour Obviously I'm gonna die From my armour You know Aaron Sorry <laughs> <laughs> Plot hole No I'll <laughs> That was my head For that big whack That you heard there That was my head <laughs> That was a it was tiny little flick. lovingly She's And you're being a baby The, uh, the goddess being, of war right Being about. a huge
0: baby um, Goddess of battle fury Battle Fury, Yep. goddess so, of battle fury. Um, so she does this psychological warfare thing. Another thing that she does is she rains blood down on armies and she uh, shrieks uh, all night so they can't sleep. So she's she's that and kind of a
1: fired on them as well.
0: She does a bit of fire raining down on them as well the in one of the battles.
1: That just that would fuck would you like that would definitely that would
0: definitely mess you, you up.
1: And, and and question the whole god goddess battle fury or no? How did people worship these? The you know the god of do you go and kill someone go thanks crow you know so go.
0: this is the this is the funny thing and this is again another one of those gaps don't that go, we go and, and kill anyone
1: to. by the way and, and tell them mate told you to do that that wasn't yeah invitation. no no no
0: it's all on you if you do that nah, don't, don't um, write me in that one. don't
1: carry on that was more lead, a leading question for you to explain
0: gods and goddesses yeah. of the Celts so this go. is this is actually a translation problem. Uh, we have an idea that a god and a goddess is somebody to be like worshipped That you should build an altar to them and maybe make a sacrifice Or say a prayer Because that's kind of the Catholic tradition
1: Catholic Ireland
0: Well, Catholic uh, Abrahamic religion, to be yeah. honest Get together in a temple Um, You know Abramic, what's that now? That, that refers to the Abraham Abraham ah. Who was the father of Christianity Islam And Judaism
1: Oh yeah there you go so yeah I learned loads of stuff in this podcast <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> you sure do do tangent man uh, sure do <laughs> you sure do I sure do, <laughs> you sure do buddy. I sure do, do. we so, could edit
1: that out but we won't
0: yeah it. Uh, so yeah these are not actually gods and goddesses in that way these are these are characters in like a poetic tradition and in a storytelling tradition so you didn't pray to the morrigan you didn't like Ask for her intercession. That was not what was going on there. But we use the word God and goddess because it's it's kind of a word that we understand, but it kind of gives a little bit of a false idea of what was going on there. Because this is not, these are not a pantheon of gods that are worshipped. So if you think of, like say, somebody like the Dagda, who's the good god, and he's very associated with hospitality, you wouldn't like dedicate your feast to the Dagda. But if you hear a story where there is a feast and the Dagda is the host, you know it's the best feast ever. Right. So, like, I went through a Wiccan phase as a teenager, as a lot of teenage girls do. You know that a, what? Uh, a, a witch phase. Ah. Uh, you know yeah. that you know that phase that teenage girls almost yeah, yeah. universally go through, where they're Goth like, phase. "I am now going to do magic and put curses on people because right. sure." Um,
1: Weird spooky. <laughs> I heard a thing fall over outside was The witches,
0: it was the witches right. clearly. The witches, so I went through a Wiccan phase as a kid, and it was, it's kind of a neo pagan um tradition. And might, by the way, I don't mean to like say that as like Wiccan is a phase because it is actually a, a very powerful belief system for some people who keep it keep to it. I, I didn't, um, but that a lot of it dismissive was dismissive
1: of witches, we're just saying, yeah, yeah no,
0: I'm just saying that phase. for me, it was a phase.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we're trying not to piss anyone off, basically, don't hex us. Carry on.
0: Yeah, exactly. I fully believe in that shit, so don't.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm on the fence about it, but I don't know hex me either, Aaron, please. Carry on. You're not
0: Your on the hand fence hand is in about the
1: it. air, you're going to make a point. You keep interrupting me. I mean, it's very enjoyable. <laughs> she looked at me, if looks could kill that. It was a hex.
0: Oh, fuck. it. <laughs> because uh, I forgot my point
1: <laughs> you me I think it was something to do with hand in the air
0: no what I'm talking about is neo-paganism that's right what I'm trying to make a point about is neo-paganism yes. that for neo-pagans there's a lot of like by necessity because these are traditions that were deliberately suppressed and destroyed because if you're somebody who believes in Christianity this is the same as devil worship mm. so this is these are traditions that had to kind of be eradicated by ah. the church in Europe from their point of view so if you're into kind of neo-paganism, you have to bring no. a lot of imagination to it and you have to actually kind of try and reconstruct imaginatively what the pagan rites and rituals were because we don't actually know. Okay. And I think that's really interesting because I think it's something that, you know, a lot of le- neo-pagans would acknowledge this, not all, um, that you're, you're kind of, you're having to kind of somewhat make it up. And I think it's always interesting to kind of go, OK, but you're not. None of us are outside of the culture and the tradition that we grew up in. So even if you're doing things as a rejection of and as a reaction to a different faith system. I think that's really interesting because you're, you're going to end up fusing. And, and I think the way that we talk about gods and goddesses is just kind of an example of how that gets sort of muddied and fused.
1: Yeah, no. Because clearly. a lot of
0: a lot of neo pagans will do rites where they where they worship and they call on different gods and goddesses, which I just think it's really interesting that that's not necessarily, not necessarily. what they would and have done. And we
1: don't know what what they would have done. Really, no. we can't go back in time. We can't check. And I just want to ask and just clarify because I'm getting this image every time you say neo pagan. Yeah, were these lads wearing neon lights and going around the place like? Neon yeah. is that what you mean? What exactly is a neon neo pagan? I just keep on thinking of neon lights every time you say it.
0: A neo pagan is somebody today who calls themselves a pagan,
1: right? So modern and pagans.
0: A modern pagan. Well, to be to to clarify that, <laughs> nothing
1: to do with neon. No, I don't know where you got that <laughs> I don't from. My brain did it. To you were
0: me. you were just looking up a site about neo pagans. I
1: mean, and yeah. you literally just looked at. That's some probably why. Right. That's probably why. Right.
0: But like the stuff, like the Bieltona Festival edition, look, yeah, where they light all the fires, yeah, right. The stuff like you know those kind of pagan raves <clears throat> that are going on. Yeah, I mean, like anybody who's now I, I should I should actually clarify that anybody who's in part of a pagan tradition that has been disrupted. Right. So there are pagan traditions in the world, and there are there are traditions of worship, and there are traditions of religion and animism that have a continuity to them because they haven't been
1: yeah, eradicated. Course,
0: yeah. Like, and there's an ancestral line there, and there's a tradition there, and you know, it's it's not broken or it's not breached. Um, in the same way but I think when you're talking about European paganism for the most part this is people who are trying to piece together
1: something that existed here a, a long time a belief system that existed a long time before kind of yeah
0: so there's, there case. isn't really a, a, a continuity of belief there's no yep. continuity of passing it
1: down okay well, inter- like since you mentioned it, I'll just have to give the uh, Pagan Rave lads a shout out because uh, that's what I was looking at and that they're amazing in terms of what they've done with their costumes and stuff. And, mm. and Billy McFlynn um, was uh, interviewed on the Blind Boy podcast. That's where I uh, came across him. I was chatting to him over the email and uh, he's done loads of work. He's fin- he's fantastic and he's um, done a little bit of work with the Puka Festival, which is basically a revival of sewing in uh, Lowth and Meath and we're delighted to be going up there yeah that's going to be fun at the end of October and the start of November delighted to be part of they rang us it was class so thanks for that um, whoever you know passed that one on so I guess like it's kind of funny me guys on the (laughs) Pagan Rave Facebook site I saw a few weeks ago there was you know, oh no, the Catholics are on to us, lads. And I paste a, 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 a little book about Catholic voice. A fellow called Francis Leonard wrote a, basically a, a message out to his people to try and boycott the thing uh, on, on faith matters. And, you know, it was a Catholic magazine or Catholic paper. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was warning people about the devastating uh, effects of pagan worship and all that kind of stuff. And it's kind of you know a lot of people were laughing at it on the site, were going making jokes about it, and you know it's kind of like it's nearly absurd in my mind, in my point of view, that that you would have people going oh no avoid, but like our parents' generation and and before that, like yeah. any mention of paganism was well
0: like it was it was like I said before if you're if you're operating from a worldview where Christianity Catholicism is the one true religion, anything else is devil worship, mm, yeah. and therefore if you see in your country young people going towards paganism. That is the same thing as young people going towards le- devil worship. That's scary. And I think like, <laughs> I actually think like coming from the worldview that he's coming from, he's 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 making a very valid point. Now, I don't come from the same worldview as he does. Uh, I don't think there's any one true religion. Um, and I don't think paganism and devil worship are remotely similar to each other. Right. But uh, I also think that there's not, much value to be had in laughing at people with a different worldview to yours. Sure, because all it does is it reinforces the cohesion of the group that you're already part of. Yeah. And it, yeah, it yeah. further ostracizes people who are not part of your of your group. And that's a really big problem in the world today, man.
1: True. Like, well, like beyond you, this. Yeah, beyond this. Particular absolutely.
0: little festival in Ireland that's about because it's the Puka Festival's idea is, is basically the, the the point is that Halloween was originally Samhain and all of this stuff about dressing in costumes and trick or treating actually dates back to Irish yeah. pagan tradition and was um, then became kind of Christianized as, as All Saints Day and All Hallows Eve. Kind of which is Halloween. It
1: yeah, would kind of it couldn't take over the Americans.
0: Well, that's the thing. It was Irish immigrants. It was Irish immigrants to America that brought these traditions with them. And and the what we think of as modern Halloween, with like the pumpkin carving. Irish people used to carve turnips, carve turnips yeah. <laughs>
1: which is like, harder. <laughs> man, oh, man, I can
0: see why they switched to pumpkins because turnips are really so really tough. So but good. also Google turnip lanterns because those things are fucking terrifying. Like they yeah. look. Horrifying! They do look like shriveled, beheaded, beheaded like actual like, heads. Actual heads, yeah. They look like shrunken heads, which makes sense because you know Ireland was a headhunter culture. That mm. was what warriors do do in the town all the time to take heads as trophies.
1: I mean, there's there's an argument to say that there's, there's still people in the Amazon that, that are headhunters, uh, probably. Paid. Yeah,
0: yeah, there are, there are tribes,
1: mm.
0: um, and you know that was that was what Irish people. That's that was what the Celts did. They made them. Um, they made they made little missiles out of out of the brains of their enemies.
1: It's always a good thing to do with brains. Yeah. On that note, lads, I think um, we've summarised what the Morrigan stands for. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. I
0: wanna I wanna bring us back to say one more thing about the the Puka festival and the the kind of discourse that's going on around it though, because sure. I think it's a I think it's just an interesting layering of yeah. like there's a pagan festival that is Christianized. that is now in The process of being repaganized,
1: yeah, that is a very interesting onion that you have, isn't
0: it? There. I just p- think that's kind of cool because what it says to me is that this time of year is important,
1: right? No matter for every faith, yeah, for everybody. Because we've just entered into like it was um, just gone, not when you listen to it now, but it's recently into the after the autumn equinox, and so yeah. we've passed into the dark half of the year, and all of a sudden we're. Aware that the harvests have been brought in. Like, yeah. if you go back, all these, the lunar calendar and the solar calendar, are all based around plants and, and how a harvest and where you're getting your food from. And, and all like these festivals are built up It's particularly
0: important in Ireland. Uh, now, you know, it depends on where you are in the world. Uh, there are some parts of the world where you kind of only have two seasons and you don't, it, the closer you are to the equator, the less variation you have in daylight.
1: Wet and dry. But in
0: Ireland, it gets really really dark in winter yeah. like you get very few hours of sunlight this far north because we're the same kind of latitude as they Moscow they meant mental in Iceland like. they do
1: they literally like it's do a
0: huge, it's a huge problem yeah. where people you know those kind of lands where you get the midnight sun in the summer and you get the 24 hour darkness people in the don't winter don't
1: sleep during the summer and they like don't even sleep during the it, summer
0: it messes with your circadian rhythms and it really messes with your your um you know mood as well like yeah, seasonal totally. affective disorder so it's my, a, I like
1: it super done I have done always for winters it's just like I have to like pump myself up <laughs> going into the dark half of the year I'm like okay come on you can do this just you know spirulina into you and the vitamin D and all that kind of jazz Listen, and just,
0: You know, some of us love it I'm very excited about the dark half of the year it's always my favourite time until about I'm until terrified. about February when I'm over it and it's not over yet yeah uh, but for like this is actually my favourite time of year
1: I'm, I'm terrified like this is this is the time of the year that I, I most associate with like depression getting down low low energy trying to pick yourself back up again and like just flump, you're going up and down with your you mind gotta, and body and, oh. you
0: gotta allow yourself to move with the cycles yeah this true. is not a time of year this is a time of year for like There's a lot of energy around this time of year because it is that gathering in and it's that shoring up of resources, celebrating
1: of the and
0: celebrating of what we have, celebrating of abundance because there's such natural abundance this time of year. But also like gathering around
1: everywhere it's class
0: gathering around and
1: mushrooms if you want to pick mushrooms,
0: gathering around of community, yeah, with getting people in around the fire and blackberries, (laughs) and like marshaling your resources going into that dark time.
1: Yeah, no, it's true.
0: Like that's what this time of year is for, so i I feel like this is always a bit of an uplifted time, yeah. and then in the winter time, it's a different rhythm, and mm. it's just a slower pace and I know that I have difficulties when i when I either fight against that too hard or when i when I give in to that too much,
1: yeah, it's a funny balance to strike,
0: but there's a balance at which I think you can just kind of be kind to yourself, go with your energy levels, and um yeah, actually, kind of try and enjoy the 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 good things about it.
1: Yeah, and that's why you know we I, you know, we started Candle Tales five years ago now, and we started it this time of year, and it's it's always the loveliest time to gather together to tell stories. It's the warmest atmosphere. It's people coming out with the jackets on and huddling together and having a little hot drink and tea and whatever you know, and it's just warm and cosy because people and communities come together for that kind of stuff. And I hope you're nice and warm now and keeping safe and dry and looking after yourself because we're going to wrap up this podcast now. I think we've gone on a little bit longer than we had planned.
0: Uh, Well, if you would like to support us in this, again, you can find us at patreon.com forward slash Candlelit Tales. Keep an eye on that because uh, I'm going to be doing some stuff uh, and and posting some stuff and we're also going to have some new rewards coming.
1: Yeah. Merchant we have some merchandise we have uh, we uh,
0: we are not going to say any more about that at the moment though so uh, have a look at the Patreon page and uh, you can also find us on social media you can find us on Instagram you can find us on Twitter you can find us on Facebook you can drop us a line uh, info at candlelit and
1: thank you for everyone who's mentioned us and supported us and told us oh yeah that podcast that you put up that is only 36 seconds long on, on Spotify Nice one for that, by the way.
0: Yeah, yeah, fell yeah.
1: through the trap. Anyway, so <laughs> got uh thanks for the um the, we just we a, a new Patreon support today. Thanks for buying me coffee. Literally two euro uh coffee. Yeah, no, every days.
0: every bit helps. Um so thank you thank you for listening because uh we love telling stories and there is no point in doing that if nobody's listening. So yeah. thanks for that, lads.
1: Oh, this podcast was produced by Oshin and I told a story, my name is Aaron and the music was by Oshin Ryan. That's all for us folks. Thanks very much for listening and get in touch and we'll chat to you soon. Keep safe and yeah, good luck. You